So he sent and had John beheaded in prison. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. Then his disciples, John the Baptist's disciples, came. And they took away the body and they buried it. And they went and told Jesus. And when Jesus heard it, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. So, Father, this morning as we approach your word, I ask that you would help us to reverently see not only the preparation of the Messiah, but the man that you used to literally give up everything for his Lord and Savior. Uh, to give up even his own life to prepare the way for Jesus Christ. And Lord, help us to see that example, not only uh, in our own lives, but to understand that today we too need to have lives that have been permanently changed, uh, lives that are willing to give up everything for our Lord and Master as well. And so, Lord, this morning, prepare our hearts. I thank you for these, my friends, my family, those that are watching online. I ask that you would bless them. Uh, help us to have open hearts and minds to the receiving of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. Who's the very first person that John the Baptist's disciples tell about the death of John? Who's the very first person they tell? It's Jesus Christ. And what does Jesus Christ do when he hears the news about the death of his cousin, John the Baptist? Now, in most of your Bibles, there's going to be a paragraph. There's going to be another heading. It's going to go into the feeding of the 5,000, you know, this other passage. Normally, we stop right at a verse, you know, there in verse uh, 12. That's normally where we stop, right? But do you understand that in the original scriptures, it was a continuous thought? What does Jesus do immediately after he hears the message or news about John the Baptist's death. He goes away to a deserted place to mourn. For, for the one, by the way, that was called beforehand to prepare the way for his ministry. Jesus' ministry. It goes all the way back to three of the Gospels, by the way. In the very first part of three of the Gospels, we hear the story, not just of Jesus Christ, but of John the Baptist. In Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 8, we read this. In the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Both Mark and John begin with John the Baptist. They start with the ministry of John the Baptist preparing the way 
of the Messiah. Jesus Christ predicted not only as it's quoted here in the book of Malachi, but also even before that from the book of Isaiah as well. In Mark chapter 1, verse 4, it continues on. John came baptizing in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Then all the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to him and were all baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. How many people came out to hear John the Baptist preach? According to the scriptures, all of them. There was literally thousands upon thousands of people coming to hear John the Baptist. A mega church in the making, by the way. At the banks of the Jordan River. This, this dirty river where everybody is gathered around and watching people literally be baptized one after the other. Confessing their sins publicly before everyone they know. Verse 6. Now John was clothed in camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, There comes one after me who is mightier than I, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to stoop down and loose. I indeed baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. His whole ministry was about preparing the way for one who would come after. Jesus Christ, the Messiah. In Luke chapter 3, we hear a, a little bit more detailed story of John the Baptist's life. In Luke chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, Herod being tetriarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetriarch of Eturia, and the region of Tritonicus, and Lysanias, tetriarch of Abilene, while Annas and Caiaphas were high priests, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias in the wilderness, and he went into all the region around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, and by the way, we went through this a couple of weeks ago from the book of Isaiah. It's from Isaiah chapter 40, one of those beautiful passages in the book of Isaiah. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and all hills brought low. And crooked places shall be made straight and the rough ways smooth. And all flesh shall see the salvation of the Lord. What was the purpose of John the Baptist's life? To prepare the way for the Messiah. Now, it's interesting because the crowds, the multitudes, these people that were coming from Jerusalem and all Judea that had come to hear this guy dressed up in these camel clothes, eating his locusts and honey, they asked him a question, a common question, by the way. They asked him this question. 
Then he said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized, brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Is this a PC-friendly sermon? No. He's laying out there. And the question that they ask is, so the people asked him, oh, what shall we do then? It provoked them to examine their hearts. It provoked them to examine their actions. It provoked them to examine their heritage. You say you're from Abraham. You're not just born of Abraham. You have to act, have the same faith as Abraham as well. Verse 11, John answers and said to them, he has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. He has food, let him do likewise. The tax collectors also came to you baptized and he said, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than what is appointed for you. And likewise, the soldiers asked him saying, what shall we do? And so he said to them, do not intimidate anyone who accused falsely and be content with your wages. Wow. Wow. What kind of a sermon is this? Where people from literally all walks of life come out to hear this guy. Preaching in the Jordan River. Asking him these tough questions. Saying, what must we do? They ask him one more question, by the way, in verse 15. Now, as the people were in expectation, and you have to remember, if, if you remember from not only the Bible as a whole, but especially the Old Testament, the last book of the Old Testament was Malachi, which was written 400 years before this time. This is the first time the people of Israel have heard the words of a prophet, a real prophet, since the time of Malachi 400 years before. There's this period of silence that has taken place. And now the word of God is being preached with freshness and vitality. And they ask John this question. An important question. Now as the people are in expectation and all reason in their heart about John. Whether he was the Christ or not. Now, why are they asking John the Baptist if he's the Messiah? See, this word Christ, it's the Greek word for the Old Testament Hebrew word Messiah. The, the one who was the anointed one. The one who was going to come and save the people of Israel from their sins. The one, according to their theology, who is going to be able to not only conquer Rome, but also to free them and set himself up as king and lord. And bring in a new revolution for the people of Israel. Why are they asking John the Baptist this question? You see, there's a prophecy that takes place in the Old Testament. 
In the book of Zechariah, by the way, it quotes this in Zechariah chapter 6, verse 13. Yes, he will build the temple of the Lord. He shall bear the glory. He shall sit and rule on his throne. And he shall be a priest on his throne. And the council of peace shall be between them both. You see, there had to be a prophecy that had to be fulfilled. Now, of course, we know the prophetic words that he had to be born of a virgin. He had to be born, you know, of a certain genealogy. He had to come from the line of David, right? And we, we understand all those prophetic words from the Old Testament. So why are they asking John the Baptist if he's the Messiah if they know that he has to come from the line of David? He has to come from the line of Judah. They're asking him these questions because something has to take place in the life of the Messiah. The two offices of king and priest must be joined together in perfect peace. See, there was a guy a long time before, if you remember when we were going through the book of Isaiah on Wednesday nights or a couple of months ago when I talked about holy, holy, holy. There was a guy by the name of Uzziah, and he tried the same exact thing, by the way. He tried to be a king and a priest at the same exact time. He brought that incense before the temple itself and, and wanted to be, perform the duties of a priest. And what happened to him? Leprosy, right in the middle of his forehead. The priest said, this is not your job. Get out of here. Why are they asking John the Baptist if he's the Messiah? See, you have to go back to the beginning of John the Baptist's life. You guys remember the story, right? Zechariah in the temple. He's the high priest. He hasn't had a child. He hasn't had any children. Both he and his wife, Elizabeth, are old. And what does he do as he's there before the throne of God on that day of Yom Kippur? Not only confessing his sins, but the sins of the people of Israel. An angel comes. You remember this story, right? And says, you're going to have a son. And he says, how can this be? We're old, both me and my wife, right? Struck dumb right there. Struck mute right there, right? They can't talk until his son is born. And this miraculous event takes place in the life of Elizabeth, where she now has a child. And what do they name that child? First, they want to name him after his father, Zechariah, right? And what does is, what is Zechariah write on the sand right before he's about ready to speak for the very first time in literally a year? He writes on the sand, John who's going to prepare the way of the Lord. So what is the lineage of John the Baptist? Instead of wearing camel clothes, instead of eating locusts and honey, where should he be? He should be a high priest. His dad was a high priest. He that means he was from the line of Levi, from the line of Aaron. He had every right to wear the turban. He had every right to wear that beautiful breastplate on his chest. He had every right 
to wear the umen and the thuman. He had every right to have not only a portion of every single sacrifice, but he had the right to be able to go into the very temple itself once a year as the high priest. Why are they asking him, are you the Messiah? You see, the story continues on, of course, in the book of Luke chapter 1. And of course, you guys can uh, read this for yourselves. And, and you know this story from Christmas time. Who comes and visits Elizabeth six months into her pregnancy? Mary. Why does Mary go to Elizabeth? Because they're related. Do you get it? Do you see it? How are they related? How are they related? By cousins. And you know, from the book of Matthew, we see the lineage of Joseph all the way back to David himself. But also in the book of Luke, right after the story of John the Baptist, we also see the lineage of Mary. Where does her lineage go all the way back to? David as well. So what does that mean about Mary and Elizabeth being cousins. Do you see it? That means at least half of Elizabeth's lineage had to go back to David as well. You see, John the Baptist had the lineage of a high priest and the lineage that was related to David himself, the king, a priest king why are they asking these questions about the messiah being john the baptist are you the one that's going to save not only us from our sins but lead us in victory a military victory over the people that are oppressing us and what does john say in the rest of the story Follow along with me in verse 15. It continues on. Now, as the people were in expectation and all reasoned in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not, John answered saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. I am just the one that's sweeping the way. I'm just the one that's laying out the carpet. I'm just the one that's preparing the way for the Messiah, who's going to come and save his people from their sins. In Luke chapter 1, verses 76 through 80, there's this amazing prophecy that takes place. But by the way, quoted by John's dad, Zechariah. 
And you, child, shall be called the prophet of the highest. For you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his way, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. So the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the deserts all the day of his manifestation to Israel. Again, referring to John the Baptist. What is John the Baptist's job to do? To literally give up everything for the one that he's preparing the way for. To, to give up everything for the Messiah. The one who would save his people. Can you imagine that? Understanding that you could have that place of high authority as the high priest. That you could say, yes, I am. I'm the Messiah. And everyone will believe you. To have this huge mega church where literally everyone is coming around from all over. All Judea. All Jerusalem coming to be baptized. And laying it all down. At the feet of the Messiah. See, this is what John the Baptist did, by the way. In fact, in John chapter 1, verses 29 to 34, we see this. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The preparation is taking place. The announcement is being held perfectly in advance. What does John the Baptist do? This is the one that everything that I've been doing points to. This is the one for which every single person that has been baptized is being baptized for. This is for every single word that I speak in preparation for the Messiah. He's the one. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. Now this is interesting, by the way. Because remember the story of Elizabeth and Mary? Who was older in the womb? John. Remember, he was six months older than Jesus in Mary's womb. And of course, he jumped for joy in that Elizabeth's womb. But do you understand what he's saying? Not only do we see the, the amazing picture of, the, you know, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit coming down as a dove in this picture, but we also see the deity of Jesus Christ. Because what is he proclaiming about Jesus Christ in this verse? 
that Jesus Christ was from eternity past. That Jesus Christ, the one that was standing there six months younger than him, actually existed before he was ever born. Eternity past as God, the creator of the entire universe. Jesus Christ standing right there. Verse 31, it continues on. Not only does he express his deity, but he also says, I do not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore, I came baptizing with water. He's also greater. The Messiah, Jesus Christ, was greater than John the Baptist. Not only was he older in terms of not only his eternity, but also in his very presence, he was greater. Now, John hadn't even begun, his, or Jesus hadn't even begun his ministry at this time. John the Baptist was more popular. John the Baptist had all these people coming out to listen to him. This is the beginning of Jesus' ministry, by the way. He, in fact, he has no disciples at this time. We're going to find out that two of the disciples of John the Baptist are going to go and follow uh, Jesus at this time. And then he's going to call all the rest of the disciples later on in the same chapter. Now, Jesus hasn't even begun his ministry yet until he is baptized by whom? John the Baptist, verse 32, and John bore witness saying, I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove <clears throat> and he remained upon him and I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, upon whom you see the spirit descending, capital S, and remaining on him, capital H, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. The deity of Jesus Christ proclaimed through the mouth of the one who is preparing the way for the Messiah. Now it's interesting, there's all these words here. How is John the Baptist baptizing? With water. How is Jesus Christ going to baptize? With the Holy Spirit. By the way, same words. This word baptize here is the Greek word baptizio. It, it comes from a, a, a literally a cooking term. And if you look it up in the Strong's Concordance, you, you can find this, and, and any, you know, app will have this, you know, uh, uh, reference. It says, the clearest example that shows the meaning of baptizo is a text from the Greek poet and physician Nicander, who lived about 200 BC. It is a recipe for making pickles. What's the title of the sermon? You thought I wouldn't get back to it, right? It's helpful because it uses both words for baptizo, okay? Nicander says that in order to make a pickle, the vegetable must first be dipped or baptizo into boiling water and then 
baptized or baptizo into a vinegar solution. Both verbs concerning the immersion of vegetables in a solution. But the first is temporary. The second, the act of baptizing the vegetable produces a permanent change. See, both John the Baptist and Jesus are going to baptize. But when John the Baptist baptized, what did he baptize in? Water. Just like when you get baptized out here. Now, we understand what immersion means, right? It means to be completely dunked under. I remember when I was baptized. It was fourth grade. Uh, I choked. Because the pastor didn't close my nose, you know. Uh, I remember it. Being literally dunked under the water. The very definition of this word means to be completely immersed. But not just in water. Because what John the Baptist was doing was a, an immersion into the Jordan River. That, that produced a temporary change. But when Jesus Christ... The Messiah is going to baptize. What would happen to the people's lives? A permanent change would take place. The definition continues on, by the way. Uh, quoted by James Montgomery Boyce. Uh, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. Christ is saying that mere intellectual assent is not enough. There must be a union with him, a real change, like the vegetable to the pickle. You see, we understand what happens to a cucumber, that bland vegetable, when you immerse it and soak it in a vinegar solution. What happens to that bland vegetable? It becomes something that you want to actually put on a hamburger or a hot dog, right? Why? Whether it's sweet or whether it's, you know, sour, it doesn't matter. What happens to that vegetable? It's changed. Permanently, by the way, can the pickle going back Go back to being a cucumber. Now, it took me a long time. It took me a long, literally months. Uh, about four years ago, I was searching for this recipe because you can't find this recipe. You can't, you can't go to the joy of cooking. You can't go to someone like, you know, Wolfgang Puck or Jacques Pepin or all the, you know, the famous, you know, people to find this recipe. I had to search and search and search and I found it. It's in this Greek textbook, and you can show it there up on the screen. I know they showed it earlier, but <laughs> literally what this says is written by, and the, and the Greek is right below it, but the English for you guys, it says this. They didn't use cucumbers back then. They used turnips, 
which by the way, is even a better example because I'm going to show you in just a little bit. Cut turnip roots and the rind before it is withered after gently cleansing it into thin slices and having dried them a little in the sun, sometimes just dip them in boiling water and immerse, baptize many together in a sharp brine and at other times put into a vessel white new wine with vinegar half and half and pickling them in it cover over with salt written 200 bc by the way by a guy by the nicander who used these words baptize to describe what would happen to a vegetable that is changed now you think of cucumbers they're bland some of us can be cucumbers we can be bland what about a turnip that bitter, tough root vegetable. What is happening to that bitter, tough root vegetable? It's being preserved. It's being changed. It's being baptized. Immersed into something that will change it. Do you understand the illustration? Because what does the Messiah do to a person, whether they're bland or whether they're tough and bitter? What can the Messiah do to a person's life? If you're immersed in the Holy Spirit, what happens to a person's life? They're changed. They're changed from the inside out. They are preserved. And they're transformed into something that's actually delicious. They're transformed into something that now brings life to a dish. Taste to a dish. Something that can be used for a long time in the future. And our story continues on in John chapter 3 verse 22. After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land. And by the way, between the time that John was, or Jesus was baptized uh, by John, John tells two of his disciples, John and Andrew, go follow him. And then, of course, they get their brothers, Peter and James, and they get other people. And then by this time, there's about 12 disciples that are following Jesus Christ. They go to a different part of the Jordan River, and they too are starting to baptize as well. And there he remained with them and baptized. Now John was also baptizing in Anon near Salem because there was much water there. And they came and they were baptized. And John had not yet been thrown into prison, verse 25. Then there arose a dispute be some of, be, between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. And they came to John and they said, Rabbi... He who was with you beyond the Jordan to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing and all are coming to him. What's happening? Two megachurches in the same place. Two megachurches in the same town. What's happening? You know the competition that can happen between churches. 
We got the better light the nights. We got the better children's program. We got the better worship team, right? The competition that can happen between people that all believe in God. What does John the Baptist do, by the way? He was there first. He was older by six months. He had literally every right to claim the place. But what does he do instead? And you hear this famous, famous statement from John the Baptist in these verses. John answered and said, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bride as the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. This once mega church where John the Baptist was the center of the entire town's na nation's attention was to says go follow him go follow Jesus Christ go to his sermon go, go listen to him you see the illustration that he uses here is the picture of the best man and the groom. Who's the tension on beyond the bride, of course? But you understand from a, a Jewish perspective, understanding what the purpose of the groom was. That the wedding didn't start until the groom arrived. And who prepared everything for the groom? It wasn't the bride and her family back then. Who was it? It was the best man. He was the one that prepared the way. He, he was the one that made sure all the arrangements were made so that the bride would feel special and everything was prepared so that the groom wouldn't have to do anything when he arrived. All he had to do was show it up and everything was ready. All the food, all the guests, all the preparations, everything. And when the marriage took place, what then happened to the best man? His job was over. And who got all the glory and the praise in the wedding? The groom and the bride, right? The groom and the bride. You see, this was the job of the preparer, John the Baptist, saying, he must increase, I must decrease. Verse 31 of John chapter 3, and this is amazing, by the way, because many times we misquote uh, these verses. John the Baptist is speaking here. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. And he who comes from heaven is above all. 
declaring who Jesus Christ is and what he has seen and heard and that he testifies. No one receives his testimony. He received his testimony, has certified that God is true for he whom God has spent or sent speaks the words of God. For God does not give the spirit by measure. The father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Who said these words? John the Baptist. John the Baptist is quoting these many times. We say John 3.16, and we immediately go to John 3.36. This is John the Baptist quoting these verses, saying these things. What does John the Baptist give up, by the way? And this is amazing. He gives up not only his disciples. He gives up not only his church. He gives up his following as well. And says, go follow him. Are you a pickle? Has your life been changed? Do you see what John the Baptist gives up for Jesus Christ? It continues on. Mark chapter 6, verse 17 through 29. For Herod himself had sent and laid hold of John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, uh, for he had married her because John had said to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. John the Baptist had gone and, and not only bravely gone before a political leader who literally had charge over his life, but he continues on there in verse 19. Therefore Herodias held it against him and, and wanted to kill him, but she could not for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just and holy man, and he protected him. And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. Then an opportune day came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a feast for his nobles, the high officers, the chief men of Galilee. And when Herodias's daughter herself came in and danced and pleased Herod, and those who sat with him, the king said to the girl, ask me whatever you want, and I will give it to you. You know the story. What does this little girl ask for? After consulting her mother, by the way. He also swore to her, whatever you ask of me, I will give you up to half my kingdom. So she went out and said to her mother, what shall I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. Oh, what a beautiful birthday gift this is. On that silver platter. Immediately she came in with haste to the king and asked, I want to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry, yet because of the oaths and because of those who sat with him, he did not want to refuse her. Immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded his head to be brought. And he went and beheaded him in prison, brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. 
And the girl gave it to her mother and then his disciples heard of it. And this is where we pick up at the very beginning of our sermon today. When those same disciples, after receiving John the Baptist's head, the very first person that they go to is Jesus Christ. Now it's interesting because in Matthew chapter 11, we read this. See, not only does John the Baptist give up his disciples, his church, his following, but John the Baptist gives up his life for the Messiah. The one whom he's preparing the way for, by the way. And John, not only after hearing it, and, and Matthew, we kind of get a, a little intermission between when Jesus hears the news and, and goes off to a, a quiet place. In Matthew chapter 11, we read this. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent his two disciples and he said to him, Are you the coming one? Or do we look for another? And Jesus answered and said to him, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see, the blind see, and the lame walk, and the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. This guy who literally gave up everything for Jesus Christ. In that prison cell, what is the question that he's asking? Was it all worth it? Are, are you the real Messiah? I've given up everything for you. I'm going to give up my life for you. Are you the one that is the Messiah? And Jesus, of course, he quotes these amazing scriptures from the book of Isaiah. And of course, we learned this two weeks ago uh, from the book of Isaiah. In verse 7, Jesus gives a sermon not on a topic, but for the only time in Jesus' whole recorded career that we have, he gives a sermon on a person by name, John the Baptist. He, he gives a sermon on a person who prepared the way for him. The only person that is named in a sermon, by the way, that Jesus gives. And in Matthew chapter 11, verse 7, he continues on. As they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? He could have been the high priest. He could have been wearing the turban. He could have been wearing the beautiful garments. Who did you go out to see? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what did you go out to see? Third time he asked this question. A prophet? Yes, I say to you and more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Assuredly, I say to you, 
among those born of women, there is not risen one greater than John the Baptist. Wow. What a statement to say. Who is saying this? Who is saying this? Jesus Christ, the Messiah. This person, John the Baptist, gave up everything for me. He, 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 his life was really transformed. His life was really changed. He had that flavor to him. He was immersed. He lived what he preached. He was a pickle. He had a life that was transformed. But the amazing thing is, that's not where Jesus Christ stops. Because he continues on, by the way. But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Another amazing statement. Who is he talking about there? Do you understand what he's saying? That all those that accept me as their Lord and their Savior, all those that are immersed in the Holy Spirit, all those that have transformed, changed lives, they too, being in heaven, the very least of the ones who come after and become Christians, the very least of those, they too will have ministries that will far exceed even that of John the Baptist. You, you, you get the privilege of telling other people about Jesus Christ. You get the privilege of telling other people how to be saved. You get the privilege of telling people how to be immersed in the Holy Spirit. To be preserved. To have the privilege of going to heaven itself. You see, on Monday nights, we've been going through a study, not only on the book of Ezekiel, but how to share your faith with other people. Because the importance of today is, and, you know, as, you know, all the pastors here believe, we know that the end times are coming. You see the signs all around us. We have the privilege, you and I, to tell other people around us who Jesus Christ is as well. Just like John the Baptist did. You get the privilege of preparing the way for someone else to know Jesus Christ. You can be a pickle. You can be a transformed, tasty life that someone would actually like to be around. Not someone that's boring. Or someone that's tough and bitter. But someone that's interesting. I have this story. Let me tell you about how I was changed. Just like Pastor Mike Cosper shared with us on Wednesday night. Being able to share with people at the fair. Being able to share with people in our community. 
the story continues, and I love this. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until whom? John. Every single prophet before Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Isaiah, Daniel, all these amazing prophets, men of old, all leading up to John the Baptist. Who did they all point to? Jesus Christ. And today, we get to celebrate that same exact fact. We, we get to participate in communion together. We, we get to participate in sharing the fact that we know Jesus Christ. We call it communion. And I invite you, there, there's tables around. We're going to be able to share this corporately all together, everybody here at the same time. So just, you know, get up and, and, and just grab one. But, but the privilege is we get to take this together is to know that every single time we have communion, we're proclaiming something profound. That our life is transformed. You see, you don't have to be a member of our church to have communion. You just have to know Jesus Christ. You have to have a transformed life. And the amazing thing is, if you look to Matthew 26, verse 26, which is where we, we uh, read the Last Supper, the, the, the first communion story, is that this was done on purpose. That there was a purpose behind the communion. There, there was a purpose behind the Last Supper. And it was to proclaim not only the death of Jesus Christ, but that we would one day together be able to share this with him at the wedding feast of the Lamb. Do you understand that? John the Baptist being the best man, preparing the way for Jesus Christ. We too get to prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah. When the very last person who gets saved, and then Jesus Christ comes. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that awesome? You see, in Matthew chapter 26, verse 26, it says this, and as they were eating, uh, Jesus took the bread, he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. The privilege of being able to share communion with you, my friends and my family here at this church, just like the disciples and Jesus Christ, is to know that as we take this together, we get to share in the communion of Jesus Christ. To know that not only is he here with us, but he's transformed our lives through his death on the cross.
Then in verse 27, he continues on, and he took the cup and he gave thanks and he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. You see, not only do we have the privilege of understanding uh, that, yes, our, our lives have been transformed, but we can be reminded of what Jesus Christ did for us. Because what did Jesus Christ do for you on the cross? He gave up all for you. He gave up all for me. And to understand that, that when we take this cup, it's a reminder every single time. Not only of, of his death, but as it says in the very next verse, but I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of this vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Not only do we remember Jesus Christ's death, but we remember what's going to happen in the future for us. That I, not just a little cup that's doubly sealed, that's hard to crack open, that has just a little bit of grape juice in it, but to be able to share with this amazing feast in heaven with God himself. At the wedding feast of the Lamb. Do you want to share that with someone else? So as we take this together, remember what Jesus Christ did for you. And you know what happens, whether you've been on a, a Sunday communion before or Wednesday night communion before, the story doesn't end there. Because what's the very next verse say that we very seldom read? When they'd sung a hymn, they went to the Mount of Olives. You see, that's what we get to do too. We get to sing a hymn. There's this amazing hymn that perfectly epitomizes the life of John the Baptist. Because not only did John the Baptist give up his, you know, mega church, his following, his disciples, his life. But he laid down everything to prepare the way for the one whom he loved. The groom who came to save the world. The one who would marry the church, by the way. Us, Christians. And today, hopefully, we can proclaim uh, this uh, hymn here. Uh, stand with me and, and join me in singing it. it. It's six verses long. It, it's the same tune all throughout. If you don't know the tune, you will by verse three, okay? Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow in endless praise, let them flow in endless praise. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse.
impulse of thy love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee. Swift and beautiful for thee. Take my voice and let me sing always only for thy King. Take my lips and let them be filled with messages for thee, filled with messages from thee. Take my silver and my gold, not a might would I withhold. Take my intellect and use every power as thou shalt choose. Every power as thou shalt choose. Take my will and make it thine. It shall be no longer mine. Take my heart, it is thine own. It shall be thy royal throne. It shall be thy royal throne. Take my love, my Lord, I pour. At thy feet its treasure store. Take myself and I will be ever only all for thee, ever only all for thee. And so, Father, this morning, I ask that you would help us remember these words. That, that just like the men of old who, yes, they wrote books of the Bible. Yes, we, we study those books. But every single word that they spoke was in preparation for you. And in the same way, help us to prepare your coming, your second coming. We thank you so much for that. That we have the privilege of telling other people about you. That we have the privilege of telling other people who you are. That you would take our life, as it says in these verses, that you would take our hands, that you would take our voices, that you would take our feet, that you would take our will, that, that you would take our, our treasures here on this earth, and that would use every single thing in preparation for you and your glory. And so this morning, I ask that you would transform our lives. And if there's anyone here that, whose life has never truly been transformed, that they would come forward and know that there was someone up front that would love to share with them what it means to have a life transformed by the power of Jesus Christ. That they too can be immersed in the Holy Spirit. That they too can have a, a life that is flavorful. And so Lord, this morning as we continue to worship you, I ask that our, our voices would be a sweet smelling aroma before your very royal throne. 
that we would remember what you've done for us and praise you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you.